I'm Tiffany Lachey, and this is In Her Boots from Moses. If you've been listening to the podcast lately, you know that this season is dedicated to the bootless. So our first episode, we sort of defined bootless as Black, Indigenous, and other women of color that are thriving despite experiencing countless barriers. In that episode, we talked with Danny Ferradas, and she shared her challenges as an Indigenous woman working toward Indigenous communal sufficiency, food sovereignty, and sustainable agriculture. Today's episode will be part two of that conversation. So one of the projects of colonization, capitalism, and white supremacy has been to make Black and Indigenous people forget their sacred connections to the land. For many of us, to love the land is to love ourselves. Um, I, I just started to get my relationship back with the land, and it started with the lake. Um, I was down by the lake one day, and we we put uh, tobacco in the water or near trees um, when we're praying. So I just put some in the water, and I just sat with it. And my grandma would say, um, my auntie reminded me that um, each water body of water has a spirit. And this one in particular, family legend has it, has a, has a spirit that is more feminine. It's there for the women. Um, and so I was just sitting with that thought by the water and it, it was the first time in my whole life that I felt connected to nature really truly. Um, but maybe more as an adult, I think a lot more as a kid. Um, and it, the sense that I got back from it was this lake. Um, it knows me more than I even know myself because I played in the water and I barely have, you know, some memories of it when I was a kid. And then over time has you know, seen me canoeing across in it. Um, but that it really loves us. Um, and I, I had seen just a bunch of fish kind of coming from the water. Not to sound too crazy, but I just seen this image flash across my or mind's eye of all this fish. It's like, yeah, I know you and I love all these people here. Um, and it showed all of all of the different kinds. It was just a variety of fish um, and just one kind of image kind of coming up from the water. And I was like, whoa, um, you know, the land and the lakes want to feed us. and I feel like they're lonesome um, around here because, you know, we will ride pretty boats on on the water. We'll, you know, go skiing, water skiing or tubing or we'll go swimming. And it, and it likes having that um, with us. Um, but we don't really connect with it. Um, because we're just not taught to do that anymore. By the water, it 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 wants to feed us, Tiffany. <laughs> when we have um, our birch bark baskets, they someone had said like they want to be used. Actually, whenever we give gifts, um, 
or when we receive gifts, they're not supposed to be kind of just put up on a mantle. Uh, gifts are supposed to be used. Um, so even like birch bark baskets when we have them hanging up. Um, teaching is, you know, they'd rather be used and rather be filled with food, just like our bellies like to be filled with food. It was a teaching from Linda Black Elk. And that really resonated because, you know, we have these places, these beautiful natural resources, which are great for recreation, but they also have, you know, more spirit in them um, to actually be good providers um, with humans. It it felt like we want more um, of a relationship back with humans from the land and the water and the foods and the medicines that grow here, if that makes sense. Of course it makes sense. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Thank you for that. That was really beautiful. I'm so glad you talked about water as a spirit. Thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. And it, I, I got a sense like it likes having company like the lakes do. But again, like more feels like, yeah, more substance over relationships. Danny is a part of several food, farm, and land access organizations, including Harvest Nation, the Land Access Alliance, and the Boy Sport Food Sovereignty and Sustainable Agriculture Community Advocacy Group. Just as an example of where this work can be kind of touchy, of course, we need clean water to be able to grow clean food. Um, my band with the Minnesota Chippewa tribe uh, put a letter out to this copper nickel mine saying, you know, with their treaty rights, um, their mine would be a violation. Um, just due to the uh, environmental impact, we'd have less access to our natural foods, our medicines um, that grow all around here, and the contamination. And what ended up happening is a local politician was going to have a fundraiser event at our casino. His um, constituency didn't think that was a good idea with that public letter coming out, which was signed by our tribal chairwoman, Kathy Chavers. And then that got taken up by the Ely mayor, a local town, and it turned into this large, <laughs> somewhat large boycott of our casino um a public boycott which our casino funds our boys and girls club um so why i'm saying like all of this is you know as we try to um assert um our values and our needs for um just well-being and health as an investment in our human capital so we can work on domestic violence we can work on substance abuse and heal um that our tribal government's hands are sometimes tied because of the public backlash. Um, and so with fighting for um, our, I guess, our, our needs are what we deserve really for fair participation in, in the economy, um, that there's this opportunity with food sovereignty, individual families, 
who maybe don't have as big as a liability as, you know, a casino asset to worry about money coming in this kind of private business area, whether through Harvest Nation and other individual farmers, um, I just seeing us having more power um, to work kind of alongside of our tribal government structures through having our own businesses, viable businesses, to show that um, there is another way, that we don't have to continue the extraction economy and ruin our water um, and our natural resources. It, it can be harder because you don't get the biggest bang for your buck, but it's more sustainable. Um, so we're hoping with Harvest Nation when it lifts off um, that 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 will be a statement um, in and of itself to show this northern region um, that, yes, we can be creative. Yes, we can be leaders in um, sustainable technologies, even. Um, and just to rise, rise up. And again, just that idea of being immediately accountable to ourselves in how we grow our food. Um, but then immediately satisfied with doing a good job and knowing we're doing a good job for our family, friends, and neighbors. We have a developing uh, Boys Fort. And that's the band I'm from or tribe. Um, Boys Fort Food Sovereignty and Sustainable Agriculture <laughs> Community Advocacy Group. Long-winded. Um, <laughs> but we're trying to work with, what are the problems that we see in with Harvest Nation? Kind of started this group off <laughs> it is we wanted to grow on the res on the reservation um but we have a unilateral government structure we do have a court system um but the tribal council used to be able to um i guess have power and influence there which depending on who your elected leaders are very favorable or not so much and there wasn't enough like legal infrastructure here to protect our interests. So we are looking to start our farm off the res. Um, and it's not just for natives, it's for everybody in the region that would be interested in being a customer. Um, and then in talking with her name's Renika Love, I think she would be a next great interview. Um, she's gonna, gonna grow um, hemp and food near the Net Lake Reservation, which is another district of Boys Fort. Um, she also went off res. We have a meat processor um, who's got a mobile mobile unit. Um, he was trying to process meat on the res and got into conflict with, there's no zoning. So together we're looking to negotiate um, a tribal food and ag code that's community driven to inspire uh, yeah, uh, development that's aligned with food sovereignty. Um, and of course, like, and then following all the other sovereignties that come along with that, energy and clean water. So, and then what you heard from the Emerging Farmers Conference, um, the Food Access Land Trust, and it's now being renamed to the Land Access Alliance. Um, it's main goal right now is to increase um private land access around urban centers around northern minnesota uh, 
for BIPOC and women for our roots. And just generally speaking, you know, anyone that's really disenfranchised are from the food system at large. So we're trying to work with some lawyers and figure out where all the, um, a way to do this without any backlash on the tribal governments. We're going to talk with next month. So, yeah. Was that the project where you said that you were, uh, I think, hosting conversations with white landowners yes. about how to tr uh, transition their land or... Uh, exactly yes that that's the one um yeah have you how is that going have you had any of those conversations yet and tell me not yep unfortunately um not yet um the, where where the idea for this project or this program or this mission came from was i didn't even know this and this was part of the trouble too um when he, his name is David Abaz, when he moved to Minnesota about 30 years ago and he got his property um, on his deed, I believe, it said that we, uh, tribal citizens um, of the territory, had the right to hunt, fish, and gather on his land. And in the very least, even just to travel through, it it's really inspiring that there's folks out there that want to, and I just don't know, like over time with the treaties and these deeds, um, if those rights just over time just got left out whenever the land changed owners. Because um, I didn't know. And we have, um, technically we have those rights on private lands. But of course, I'm not going to roll up on somebody's land who I don't know who lives there because, um, you know, they have a right to defend themselves. And if they think I'm a threat um, or if they see a bunch of brown people <laughs> with guns going to hunt on their land, they might just come out with their own guns and who knows might, what might happen. So what, what exactly happened? So someone reached out to you and said that he found this on his deed and, and he, offered, yeah. he offered his land? Oh, no, not yet. Nope. This guy did not offer his land. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, just saying, hey, we should do this with other white landowners. Um, <laughs> he, he did like a PowerPoint presentation with um, a couple other kind of more progressive advocates uh, for local food um, in the region. And from that, um, he's had a VistaCore member working with us and then found funds to hire a community organizer consultant named Shannon. She's amazing. Um, and then we just kind of host these um, meetings every couple of weeks um, and keep driving it, driving it forward. And our next steps. So from the Emerging Farmers Conference, we had a similar panel inspired by that one at the Indigenous Farming Conference. Um, to just assert those BIPOC farmer and forager needs in an open space, again, a safe space. Um, and we now got um, other folks working with us. The biggest, the biggest piece I, for me in this is, you know, how do we make the trust immediately accountable to the people it's going to serve. And we just need to have more BIPOC um, leadership. It is right now mostly white-led. Um, that's, the, that's the Land yeah. Access Alliance? It's mo yep. mostly white-led? Yep. 
Yep, for now. Um, but and, and it's really hopeful that there's, you know, people out there that want to do this. Um, and it, it, it seems funny because I, I try to, I think there, there's one person that came into this circle that um, wasn't a, a very thrilled with the treaty thing um, and kind of had a negative maybe perspective of this land trust idea um, and didn't call it out what I would feel like in a good way. Um, so for myself, I, I, I know these folks and I know their hearts are really good. And when they misspeak or, you know, are just aren't sure of something, um, we have a really nice space, I think, for kind of hashing out what we don't know on each other's side. So I'm ignorant on a lot of stuff. Um, they also don't know a lot of stuff, but just really powerful that they're willing to learn and willing to be humble in the learning process by maybe misspeaking or saying something um, wrong. Because uh, somebody had said like, oh, the rights given by the treaty. And we had another person say, no, 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 these rights were inherent. And um, we need to have these conversations and keep schooling each other. And that's why I let everybody know I'm really new to this. Um, so I'm way ready to be schooled. Um, just trying to, yeah, figure out, you know, how do we have these tough, tough conversations, um, but still maintain that level of, you know, love and care and respect for each other. And I think that's one thing that was at least taken from our community. Um, we used to be very, we used to have really, really strict morals where like my grandma, she said, we couldn't even make fun of the dog if he were to fart. We were very, very rude. <laughs> uh, and we could make fun of, you know, people just didn't, like, degrade others, maybe. And I don't want to be too, you know, romanticizing of the past. Because, of course, I didn't grow up in it. Um, but I had a little taste of it from my grandma who um, really, you know, never put anybody down. But could have those tough conversations with folks. Um, and her leadership style was... I came home from work one day, just kind of not feeling so great about an exchange with a coworker. Um, this was years and years ago. And I was sharing it with my grandma because she used to work for Boys Fort. And she'd go, huh, that's interesting. Well, what we used to do is we'd take that person out to lunch. And I thought, that's really humbling. Um, you know, invest your money and pay for that other person's food when you're in disagreement not you know no chance of um things being worked out into the way you might want but at least you know it's that that high road i guess maybe but from the heart like she wouldn't do it just to look like she's doing the right thing um but she really from the heart um lived that way and i just i i, I see that as an opportunity of course with this food sovereignty realm um and how beautiful it is that we could get back to that kind of living and that kind of respect for one another. Um, so moving forward with any of these projects, um, just keeping that at the forefront. We have a word in Ojibwe called Mino Chige, and it means to do things in a good way. And I, I, I see that happening as, you know, a lot of our people 
um, are not fully healed, we'll say. I don't want to say broken, but there's a lot of trauma. And how do we make space for our people to participate in this way? Because it is healing work. Um, It is where and who we are. Again, originally the local producer, local consumer, accountable to our own system. Um, and how do we make space for our people that need that healing in in our work? Even when, you know, we have all these Zoom meetings. Well, our people don't like to be on Zoom all the time. And, of course, COVID happens, so it's kind of a necessity. Um, I've been trying to think harder on how to do that. So for our Boys Port Food Sovereignty Group, we're going to do a time capsule with our heritage center and we asked we're asking folks to write letters to their descendants 100 years into the future and once those are all in um, we'll do some collective vision making or visioneering and see okay what can we do in our generation now to set um set a good foundation for you know what's to come next in the next generations because Again, it's multi-generational work. We're just so strapped, stressed, um, traumatized <laughs> to, you know, change everything. That's That was my hope when I was younger, um, to change, get everything to where we know it can be. Um, I don't know if it's really realistic in my lifetime, but I'm going to do what I can to set, set it up for my kids, my grandkids, great-grandkids. Um, to keep building and keep healing and my grandma now um this has been absolutely heartbreaking uh, a few years ago i mean her dementia was getting bad for the past maybe 15 years but about two years ago she got hurt and had to get surgery and then was in kind of in the system a doctor seen her um and said she needed you know 24-hour supervision for her um dementia state and so we were trying our best to keep her home but our family just couldn't do it and that was absolutely heartbreaking um to have to you know I, I still feel like I feel her every day because of that um but at least there's this moment and this is the beautiful thing um that we can continue to hold on to we were sitting, and when the doctor had said that, and I knew she wasn't coming home, um, and had a feeling it was just devastating. Uh, she, she, I don't, I, I want, I'm gonna sound like a lunatic, maybe a little bit crazy, maybe not, but I feel it was her. Um, she said, you know what, don't pay attention to this. This is crap. This is nothing. Don't even worry about it. And brought me to a memory of being in her garden. And she gave me a potato <laughs> and she told me to cut it. And I was just so surprised that we could cut a potato and it would grow more potatoes. <laughs> like, wow. Um, and then I later had another vision of just her, like, you know, being free um, in the garden and how it is that simple. And why the heck don't we know about it or we know about it, but 
it why is it so hard to do and i think it's because of the whatever they say industrial machine or whatever this whole world is um that we're our time is is exploited our brain power is exploited um for systems that don't necessarily work for all of our people and because of that um you know we're just kind of all sucked into that system the whole working for the man thing i couldn't believe it growing up the hippies were right um (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we can do better and how it's so hard to to detach from the whole system um not totally um but to even find the space to sit and think thoughtfully that how do we do this in a good way so that you know even our disenfranchised family members neighbors and friends can still have a part of this we i don't know i need my family healed around me to feel okay with doing the work that i do um not i used to hope for a hundred percent it probably won't get to be like that just yet but just to see progress in you know well-being whether it's physical health mental health emotional spiritual health even just that sense of connection to each other so Hey. Uh, it means goodbye. Not goodbye, it means I'll see, see you later. I'll see you later. Oh, you're good. We'll see you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. And thank you all for listening. Feel free to email me feedback about today's episode to Tiffany at MosesOrganic.org.